The Lord be with you. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Matthew. At that time, Jesus withdrew to the region of Tyre and Sidon. And behold, a Canaanite woman of that district came and called out, Have pity on me, Lord, son of David. My daughter is tormented by a demon. But he did not say a word in answer to her. His disciples came and asked him, Send her away, for she keeps calling out after us. He said in reply, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But the woman came and did him homage, saying, Lord, help me. And he said in reply, It is not right to take the food of the children and throw it to the dogs. And she said, Please, Lord, for even the dogs eat the scraps that fall from the table of their masters. And then Jesus said to her in reply, O woman, great is your faith. Let it be done for you as you wish. And her daughter was healed from that hour. The Gospel of the Lord. We see in our Gospel reading today a remarkable fulfillment and completion of what the Lord speaks through the prophet Jeremiah in the oracle that we heard in our first reading. It begins simply enough, and if we're not careful, we miss the peculiar power and the surprising character of the statement. I will be the Lord of all the tribes of Israel. But for over a hundred years, for over a hundred years, the kingdom of Israel has not existed. There only remains the small kingdom of Judah and the tribes of the northern kingdom for over a hundred years have been conquered. Their state destroyed, the people deported, foreigners settled on the land. These are the famous lost tribes of Israel. So imagine the surprising, forceful power of a statement like that. I will be the Lord of all the tribes of Israel, even the ones that have disappeared, even the ones that have vanished, even the ones that are essentially no more. This is more than the Lord saying to the struggling people in the southern kingdom, I will take care of you. Rather, the Lord is speaking into that desolation that the sins of the people brought upon themselves, a desolation so great. As a nation, as a people, they cease to be. And the Lord says, I will be the God of all of you. 
And so this remarkable oracle that continues of the ageless love that the Lord has and what this love will do in terms of bringing a new joyfulness, a new fruitfulness to the people, a resettling them on the land points far beyond merely earthly consolation. And we see here that the Lord has in mind something much broader, something much greater than the mere earthly kingdom of Israel. Rather, in speaking of all the tribes, he is already looking out across all of history to every one of you as well. And we see that the Lord is beginning to announce an oracle where Israel itself will find its fulfillment in something much beyond itself. Something that will come in a remarkable, a dramatic, and yet curiously hidden way. And that is through a holy remnant of Israel. After the southern kingdom of Judah has ceased to be a state, groaning under the power of Rome. The cut-off stump of Jesse suddenly blossoms into fruit. A pure shoot is born, and from that shoot, the fruitful burst of salvation comes into the world. And so it is that Jesus now goes forth, and he goes forth not to save nationally ethnic Israel, but the entire world, all of us. And how remarkable this is. As he moves in Israel, calls his first disciples from Israel, even at that moment he is looking out to the beautiful fulfillment of all of those tribes, descended not merely from the 12 sons of Jacob, but gathered by the 12 apostles who are sent out into the world. And as part of that movement, the Lord draws near a pagan city. And as he is preaching, a Syrophoenician woman comes to him, not a Jew, not an Israelite, by blood not connected to the people of the Old Covenant. And yet she makes a claim on its promises. How absolutely remarkable this is, the boldness of this woman, this foreigner, this unbeliever, this one who is not of Israel. And yet she cries out, help me, my daughter is possessed, tormented. By a demon. And in her cry, the cry of this woman, we hear in miniature, but in reality, the cry of the hearts of so many who are lost and wounded and believe themselves to be outside of the people of God. And yet there's something about this Jesus that draws her to him. And so she gets up and she moves seeking him and her cry is the cry of a world that's been groaning for salvation. Help me, my daughter 
is tormented. What an interesting prayer that is. On the one hand, so representative of a mother's love, and yet so much more than that. My daughter is tormented. Help me by helping her. She cries out not simply for her own private need, her own private salvation. She cries out of her inability to comfort her child, her inability to still what troubles the heart of her little girl. Help me, because I can't overcome this. Help me, because I can't take the torment away. Help me, because she's lost. And we hear in this very simple prayer, and it is in fact a prayer, a statement of the woundedness of the world, a statement of our helplessness in the face of so many things that overwhelm us, a statement of how small we are even to protect those we care most about from the dangers that live abroad in this sin-fallen world. And interestingly enough, curiously enough, Jesus says nothing. This heart-wrenching cry is lifted to him by this woman who has come seeking him out. And his answer is silence. And once again, we see that the Lord's ways are not our ways. The Lord is deliberate in everything he does, and everything he does is done for a reason. And that reason always redounds to our instruction and our good and our salvation, however harsh it may seem at first. And so she cries out, and she's met with silence. And here we see an aspect of Jesus that again defeats, cuts against the grain of our naive and shallow pieties. Oh, just call to the Lord, and immediately he jumps when you snap your fingers. And we see that that's not the case. There's no magic formula that makes Jesus do what we want or give us what we ask. No, she cries out, and the Lord, who is gentle and loving, in that loving gentleness, doesn't respond in any way that we can recognize. His response is his silence. Think about that in your own prayer. Think about that in your own spiritual life. From time to time, the response of the Lord to the prayerful heart is a silent answer. And the silence is the answer. The Lord is not ignoring her. His response is the pause, the silence. 
and something happens. She cries out, and his disciples, the men of Israel, turn to the Lord, and what do they say? Just send her away. And again, understanding the culture and the history and the hostility between these peoples, an ancient hostility, this is not entirely surprising. And the Lord doesn't send her away. But he says something that challenges both her and his disciples. I was sent to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Well, the implication if one reads that statement narrowly, is if you're not Jewish, you're out of luck. If you are not an Israelite, too bad I didn't come for you. Or, perhaps, Israel is a bigger reality than we might think. Note how on the one hand that statement can be pressed into the service of the narrowness of the disciples. Send her away. She's not one of us. That's not our mission. And yet the Lord doesn't say that she's not one of us. He gives her every reason to either say that herself or to discover something different. Note the power of his pause. His pause forces the reaction of the disciples. His pause also creates space for him to say, not a consoling at first glance, but a challenging word to the woman. And what do we hear? But she came to him again. Note the remarkable thing here. She keeps coming to Jesus. That's the other curious element of this story. It's not that all of this happens while everybody is standing still. She has to keep moving to catch up to Jesus. And she keeps coming. That silence is the space that allows her to move toward him again. Note, oftentimes we give up on our prayer because we think Jesus is going to sit still for us. And sometimes the Lord keeps moving. And it's not because he's ignoring us. It's because he wants to lead us someplace deeper. And so she comes to him again. And she says, but you've got to help me. Note the implication. I have come for the last sheep of the house of Israel. And she says, well, then here I am, and there ain't nobody more lost than me. All of a sudden, the borders of Israel are a different thing. All of a sudden, the markers of the people of God are a different thing. This is no longer Israel by blood. This is now something greater, something new. Note, there are lost tribes not born of Jacob by blood, but lost all the same. 
and gathered into the new Israel that the Lord is building. The new and greater reality of what it is to be God's people. And we see that here. And just like all new births, there is often a moment of pain and challenge and difficulty. And so she comes forward and she says, but you've got to help me. And then the Lord greets her with that ugly sounding answer. It is not right to take the food of the children and throw it to the dogs. And in speaking that way, the Lord is not seeking to insult her, but he is putting in front of her the obstacle of all of the prejudice, all of the animosity, all of the pettiness, all of the anger that could oppose her and stand in her way. She just heard it in the voices of the disciples. Send her away. And so in a sense, Jesus opens her eyes to that reality, to the fact that there is an ugliness between peoples, to the fact that there are difficulties involved in coming together, to the fact that as much as I want goodness, I've heard from so many others for so many years, I will never be good enough. And Jesus throws it right in her face all that she's heard, everything that gives her a reason not to step forward. And she looks at him and she says, even if that's all I am, I can get something. What a remarkable answer this is. What a remarkable answer this is. There's still a place for me even if it's a low place. And in speaking that way, she's not humiliating herself. She's saying, even, even the pieces of your goodness that they don't want are plenty for me. Jesus is stunned by this answer, but this is what he was seeking. He was seeking an answer like this, a faith like this, where she can come forward and say, let them call me what they want. Let the world think of me however it's going to think of me. But if you're sitting at the table, I'll find some place to wait there for you however low, however high. And so it is that the Lord raises her up from that low position and gives her a seat at the table. He's not throwing her scraps. He lifts her up. He gives her a seat at the table of the children. Great is your faith. Go. I will do as you desire. Know what he says. It will happen as you desire it. Your will be done on a certain level, Jesus says to her. Because her will is first 
to have a relationship with Christ. And her will is second to belong to the people that he is raising up. And her will, third, is that this express itself in him freeing her daughter from what torments her. What a remarkably powerful incident this is, this this difficult and challenging and mysterious encounter that the Lord has here. And yet, how very important. And note how everything that we see said in Jeremiah expresses itself, asserts itself right here. And Jesus is that fulfillment, a fulfillment of salvation that goes beyond the borders of ancient Israel, a salvation that makes Israel something new. And here the new people of God is being born. The woman who has no right by blood, no place by blood, no right by birth, suddenly discovers she has a place, a place that will be a place by blood. Not the blood of Jacob, but the blood of Jesus that gets shed on the cross. Not by birth as an earthly descendant of Abraham, but by sharing that common birth that Jesus is pleased to take upon himself and taking our humanity and becoming one of us, not just a son of Israel of old, but a son of man. How absolutely beautiful. And so it is that the Lord who will say to his disciples at a later date, I no longer call you slaves, I call you friends, lifts this woman out of the indignity of being cast aside to the great dignity of giving her a place at the table of the children of the household. And it is only right that he who is the elder son of the household should do such a thing for his little sister. And so here we are at this place, not looking for scraps, but for the very banquet of the children of the household. Let us feast on this in faith today. Let us feast on this banquet in joy today. And let us feast knowing we ourselves are lost no more. Amen.